Hey, everybody. This is Matt. This is Greg. We are Record Mashup. We got another great episode for you today, returning from a long while. But before we get into anything, please subscribe to us. Let your friends know. Let them subscribe to us. Catch us on anything that you have. So Apple, Google, or any other podcast service that you have. You can also check us out on Facebook. Or Facebook at Record Mashup. And email us at recordmashup at gmail.com. All right, Matt, what do we have in store this week? We are going to do uh, Black History Month. Now, we realize this is April. Black History Month is in February. But Greg and I have lives that went crazy, bonkers for the last two months. So we apologize. But you know what? Black History Month should be honored at all times. So get off our backs. Sorry. But we're here. <laughs> yeah so anyway so we're doing we're doing the black history and uh we've got two uh really great songs today um i'm gonna be doing uh, change is gonna come by sam cook and uh greg what do you got so i have all black everything by lupe fiasco and this is a pretty lyric intensive song not so much a song fact intensive song (laughs) so if there are any other alibis, Matt? I think we'll just get back into the swing of things. Yeah, good to be back. All right, so this is off of Lupe Fiasco's third album, Lasers. There's a lot of controversy around this album based on uh, he was having issues with his record label at the time and having issues putting out this album. Some of the songs on the album he doesn't even like. Uh, he was kind of just forced into putting some of the songs on the album so that because of the record label issues that he was having, and he didn't feel he got his creative way with the album that he'd like. And if any of you are Lupe Fiasco fans and really liked his first two albums, The Cool and Lupe Fiasco's Food and Liquor, um, that was more what he was trying to get to, but he didn't quite get to that on this album. But one of the songs that he did get to have his creative kind of take on was All Black Everything, and he did enjoy the song and felt that it was more at his roots of the type of music that he was trying to put out. So there's a quick background on the song. And so the album came out in 2011. The song was not a single off the album. So it's just, just a song that I thought would fit perfect for this week. So if you haven't heard it before, go check it out. We'll break down the lyrics uh, coming up. So yeah, the before, chorus. Well, let's yeah, go ahead, Matt. Before, before we get into uh into lyrics i just i like the premise of the song um it's just a complete alternate history or take on history um almost kind yeah, of like it's a an what interesting if. swing on things yeah just like a what if scenario and uh i just think i just think the premise of it's really cool yeah i know a lot of people had mixed reviews on this on the whole lasers album and uh mm-hmm. i think this is this isn't my favorite song off the album, but it's uh, it's up there. there there's, there's some good songs on the album, and this is one of them. Mm-hmm. Okay, so getting into the chorus, it starts off talking about that you would never know what, can, what could ever be. Talks about um, if people stayed in Africa and they didn't ever leave, like what would happen? Would there be no slaves in, in history? And then he kind of quotes uh, Martin Luther King at, at this point. So he talks about, see, it fell asleep and I had a dream. It was all black, everything. So kind of quoting back to 
Martin Luther King's I had a dream speech or I have a dream speech and just saying what if everything was different he's not saying that for everything to be black right he's he's saying that what if things had gone differently in history and he spells that more out in the following verses so getting in the verse one he says well if we didn't get exploited and that we didn't work for free and we were employed so basically he's saying what if instead of uh early american settlers coming over taking all the people by force basically and forcing them to work in slavery well if they came over and like hey we're gonna pay you to do all these jobs and you're gonna have your own sense of like income and self-worth and you'll be able to use that when you're done with the job which is the exact opposite of slavery <laughs> being employed um so during the first 400 years we would actually enjoy it. And then he talks about uh, having the constitution written by W.E. Dubois or W.B. Dubois. So interestingly, he was born 80 years after the constitution was written, but it's also his alternate universe to where if things were different, could basically a black person have like some writing of the constitution. It doesn't really matter the year frame his idea makes is still the same he's rewriting history what, what if there was more diversity in the creation of the constitution basically uh from that there would be no civil war there would there would have been no reconstructions so there wouldn't have been anything that we would have been fighting over civil war possibly could have still happened but it would not have the basis that a lot of people put on of slavery there would be Maybe it's a civil war over just something else, whatever it may be, right? Yeah, there, there was definitely a lot of, um, and it, you know, there's a number of reasons why the civil wars fought. Slavery was certainly the number one reason, but um, a lot of it was economic too. So certainly, yeah. a, the, the, there was other things to it. Yes. Yeah. Um, then this next line, I had to kind of look it up because uh, I didn't know what it meant. But little black sambo. Uh, apparently it was a children's book from the late 1800s yeah um, i wasn't familiar with this reference either i had to i had to look this up as well yeah but apparently it used to be or it's used as a racial slur um so i apologize if that is something that i shouldn't be saying uh so i just won't say it um <laughs> but he's basically saying what, what if that person grew up to be a lawyer would be completely completely different story and have a completely different context to it right next he kind of gets into it uh there's on the newsstands it's saying that a black woman is the leader of the ku klux klan so maybe in his story the kkk isn't uh destroying of black communities and uh um what, what's the word i'm looking for demoting their like presence as a person but instead he's empowering like a woman basically and saying that like doesn't matter man woman black white yellow red blue whatever you are it it doesn't matter you can still provide some influence and be a positive influence yeah i think it's interesting he specifically says a woman too um you know kind of you know breaks down patriarchy a little bit here too yeah. um with that decision yeah, definitely. And I mean, this song was written in 2011. So it's not like 
or well, it came out in 2011. So it's not like it's ahead of its time or anything like that. But I, I think, I think uh, pretty much if you're not like a, a, a white male, <laughs> there's like some negative kind of like so, something negative to it, I guess. Um, not to say that like being a white male makes you perfect or anything, but there, there's some connotation to, to that. Um, so next he gets into Mal uh, Malcolm X, who is Malcolm Little and Martin Luther King basically being old men. So instead of having the civil rights, like like the civil rights active movements and everything like that back in the day where Martin Luther King and Malcolm X were assassinated. Instead, they grew, they don't have to deal with that. So there's nothing that matters for them to be protesting against at that point. So they grow up to be old, old men and friends and having a eulogy written for each other. Um, and then talking about Bill O'Reilly, I don't know your opinion of Bill O'Reilly. I don't like the guy. Um, so I understand the, the, the message on this one, but um, basically saying like cranky old man accepting different religion essentially is what that, that one's getting into. So you can see from him reading the Quran or Quran, Quran. I think it's Kurt, but I, and I've always heard it pronounced a, uh... Quran, but Quran. I don't know. I think it's probably one of those words, multiple pronunciations. Yeah. Um, and then going into President Bush saying condolences from Iran and Ahmadinejad, who was the president of Iran, um, winning the Mandela Peace Prize because he is not someone who would be winning that prize. But in his alternate reality, there's a lot of differences happening that kind of lead up to all these different changes and how people react and how they are perceived and things. So it's a much lighter world than the one we actually live in. So that goes back into the chorus, going back through what things were different, basically. And that gets into verse two. So verse two starts off that, that there's no projects. So if you're not familiar with projects, they're uh, housing projects that basically poor families have been brought up in. And depending who you talk to about it, not confirming nor denying this, but it was targeted toward young black families, poor black families. So he's basically saying that these would have never existed. There would have been no targeting for specific people and these project housings would not have been built. Um, going further, call it, uh, racism has no context. So at that point, there, racism isn't a thing in this alternate reality, which is the whole message of the song, basically. Like there's no racism. There's no, like, sure, there's different colored people, but no one sees that at any level. Um, and I, I like this next line. So everybody rapping like crack never happened. Crips never occurred in the bloods to attack them. And there's no hood to attack in. So rap kind of has a negative, at least definitely in the 90s, 80s, 90s, it definitely had a negative reputation to where it causes a lot of violence and things like that. And rap 
rap about drugs and that's all it is is violence and drugs which here he is saying that everyone will be rapping there's none of that violence and drugs connotation for rap so everyone would kind of be into it and not have that negative perception of rap which i think we've already proven that hip-hop r&b definitely is not all that through this podcast and I think we've picked good so- songs on both sides from, from your perspective, Matt, and mine that show like that there's good music everywhere, even if you don't like it. Like, I don't like country music, but you picked a couple of country songs. And, you know, <laughs> hey, if it's pop on, I'll, I'll listen to it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's definitely true. So there's de- definitely, definitely good things happen. Um, like this next line Somalia is a great place to relax in. I've never been to Somalia, so I can't speak firsthand, but I've heard some things. I say, I just know and about the pirates. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've heard some things. I don't think I'd want to go relax there. But I, I do feel like this this line's a little out of place, too, though. Because, I mean, I feel like the, the premise of the song was about... Uh, well, I guess this is true in other so, parts, but I kind of thought the premise was more about Mayor. I... Um, I think it's just, it just for the world a, it in just general. Seems a lot of place. So okay, okay. So I, I'm going to speak from a non-professional, just purely guessing at this point. But I think a lot. So Africa is obviously not a third world continent, right? Like there's some wealthy cities and countries in Africa. So it's not like this rundown thing, like Lion King world, that some like I've ran into some people who think it's like that met some people from africa and everything they're from a city cities exist there people um but speaking from uh not knowing 100 percent, but i think a lot of issues kind of arose from slavery and a lot of people being taken from africa and there might have been issues so i know this i don't think somalia was one of the places directly affected by it but if you look back in history, Africa, like Egypt areas, things like that had a lot of success through the world. Well, I think, I think and, a lot of it too, is just um, European colonialism in general. Yeah. Um, you had, you had England and France and Spain and um, I'm sure. England's the worst of them all. <laughs> yeah. But they were all coming down because there's a number of, there's a number of countries in Africa where the official language is French. Cause you know, the French colonized oh, yeah. there and especially um, Northern Africa, they have a lot. Yeah. So I think, I think a big part of it too, is just, you know, you had these European countries coming in and, and drawing new boundaries that maybe weren't necessarily along ethnic lines that, that just inherently then created conflict. But yeah. So I think that's kind of where that line is going to. Uh, and then the next couple of lines, it kind of gets pretty interesting. So he talks about Fred Astaire is the first to do a backspin. The Rat Pack was a cool group of black men, uh, black men and uh, they inspired five white guys called the Jacksons. So the Rat Pack, it was uh, Sammy Davis Jr., um, uh, Frank Sinatra, and I'm um, who, who was the last person in the Rat Pack? It was... Um... It was um, he had Humphrey Bogart, Dean Martin. Yeah, Dean. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so yeah, there, there are a bunch of white dudes in it, and then Sammy Davis Jr., who's a black guy, right? So, uh, he's kind of pointing at that, like instead of it being them who 
influenced the Jackson Five, who were five black kids. I there was a group of black men inspiring white guys. And then the next uh, line talks about Eminem in his inspiration to 50 Cent in uh, signing on 50 Cent. So Eminem in this could be, uh, it, I've seen a couple different interpretations for his lyric because it is kind of li- uh, a little unclear, but you could take it to where Eminem is black in this uh in this world of his and he inspires a a white guy named 50 cent or Eminem is still a white person in this dream of his, but instead of uh, white people being like a, uh, an anomaly in the rap world, I guess, because how many famous white rappers can you name? Yeah. I, I kind of thought, and he um, signed on 50 cent as a white person too. Yeah. I feel like I to me I, I took it as um Eminem is black. Yeah, that's how I took um, it. I saw the other interpretation also online. Yeah, because it just um because then you've got the you know the quote sounding white rapper by the name of 50 Cent. Yeah. Um it, it just doesn't make sense that he would you know everything else about the song is kind of like opposite. <laughs> yeah. So it doesn't it doesn't make sense that he would just fit in something that's not opposite. Yeah. Either way, there's inspiration on both ends, and it's just it it's completely different to what we see today. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's a dream and not reality. But from there, he goes back into the chorus and then he gets into his third verse, which is a really short verse, and it just kind of wraps everything up. So talks that he knows it's just a fantasy and there's nothing you can change about the past and there's nothing that we can change back then but there's nothing that stops us from changing the future we can always choose the change we can always help others make that change and uh he makes a comment that every woman's a queen every man's a king and it doesn't matter what color you are in in there so the everyone's skin color whatever it may be should just kind of blend together and there should be no no issues with that so it kind of just sums up everything that he's been rapping about for the whole song and he just says to close your eyes thought it's all black everything just basically saying black equality or whatever however you take that it's not saying that black is better or anything but that there just needs to be equality between everyone. And that is pretty much the song. So there weren't any other really song facts I had uh, other than what I talked about at the beginning. But I think that he spelled out his message pretty clearly in the song. And I thought it was well done. Yeah, as I said, I, I like the premise of the song and just the idea of um, flipping in history on its head. You know, <laughs> yeah, uh, I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, but uh, I didn't have anything else, Matt. <laughs> I, think, I think we, I think we beat that one down pretty, yeah. pretty well. Well, before we get into the next song, uh, our podcast today is pro- uh, presented by Podgo. Podgo is the 
easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. So for you fellow podcast uh, podcasters out there, check out Podgo. They offer a flat rate for ad space. So you always know how much you get when you include an ad from them. And uh, be sure to apply today to become a member and immediately get connected with advertisers that tailor and fit to your audience. That's podgo.co at p-o-d-g-o dot c-o. Check out Podgo today. And with that, let's jump into our next song. As I said, our next song is A Change Is Gonna Come by Sam Cooke. This was a song that initially appeared on Cook's album, Ain't That Good News, um, which was released in mid-February of 64. It was actually released as a single um, in December of 64. And uh, a, lot of, a lot of great history behind this song and, and some, some interesting storylines that, that go with it. Um, you know, this was a song that he wrote inspired by, um, multiple personal events that took place in his life. Um, if you don't know, Sam Cooke was a huge, he was actually a really big star at this point. Um, you know, this was the era when, um, rock and roll was taken over and you're starting to see the rise of Motown. that's starting to happen. It's, it's a little bit before Motown, but, mm-hmm. um, and Sam Cooke was a huge star as far as black artists went. And, um, and this is really at the height of his career when this came out and he was inspired in, in the six in early 60s, 63, late 63, early 64 to write this song. Um, as I said, by, by multiple personal events. And most notably there was a situation where he and his entourage, I think it was his wife at the time, were turned away from a Holiday Inn in Shreveport, Louisiana, which was apparently a, a whites-only motel. And uh, Cook actually apparently got heated with the hotel staff over this, but his entourage eventually convinced him to leave the place. And they went across town to another hotel, and by the time they arrived there, the police had, were already on site, and they arrested the entire group for quote-unquote disturbing the peace. And the next day, the New York Times ran an article on the story, and African-Americans uh, were outraged nationwide. But that story, along with other in- events of 1963, including Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech, and um, uh, Bob Dylan uh, actually released uh, his song Blowing in the Wind that in 1963, which helped influence Cook in, in terms of writing this song. And so Cook was quoted as saying that, that, that the lyrics and the composition of this song just, just came to him in a dream one night. I guess he was pondering all these events that were going on in the world. And, uh, and he felt the desire to, to want to write a song about um, the systemic racism that, that he was seeing um, not only across the country, but firsthand. And, uh, and so that gave us uh, a change is going to come. Um, Greg, do you have anything else before we jump into the lyrics? No, I not for this one. Okay. Well, the um, I I actually really like this song. It's one of my favorite songs. Um, the the first verse he talks about being born by a river uh, in a little tent. Um, more than likely referring to you know like the tent revivals and river baptisms that you you you, you hear or are seen on TV maybe. Um, which this is the type of uh, uh, religious activity that, that Cook would have certainly grown up with and 
and perhaps experience firsthand. Um, but I think there's also an interesting take here. I mean, there's possible reference to the river Jordan, um, which is the river that separates Israel and Jordan in the middle East. Uh, civil rights advocates over the years have often uh, compared the state of black people uh, under Jim Crow to the Jews that were uh, fleeing persecution in Egypt and, and Rome and, and the old new testaments of the Bible. So um, I think there's a couple different references there as, as to how that line could be taken. Um, I've always kind of thought of it more as the, the former, the kind of more literal interpretation, but I don't know. I can definitely see the figurative aspect. I think it. the river thing is, uh, I think that's a stretch. I, uh, I think it's more the, the first one, the tent baptisms and things like yeah. that. I think the second one's a little stretch. There can also just be an aspect to it too of um, simplicity. I don't know. That's just me yeah, thinking out loud. That, that might be. Um, that's possible too not every lyric that someone writes in a song has like significant meaning yeah i definitely think this is one line in the song though that's in my mind definitely open to interpretation more so than others but mm -hmm. um anyway but then he goes on to say that like the river he's been running ever since and um i think this is definitely um a reference to to throughout american history and the idea that um um, black people throughout history were fleeing to the north, uh, you know, per, on a personal level. Uh, Cook and his family moved from Mississippi to Chicago when he was two years old. So he definitely has a, a personal connection to this idea of, of running. And then we get into the chorus for the first time. And he says, it's, it's been a long time coming, but he knows that change is going to come. And uh, certainly ever since the 17th century, um, I think it was trying to think back to my Virginia history days. I grew up in Virginia. I'm pretty sure the first slaves came to America in 1617, 1619, something like that. Um, but ever since the 17th century, blacks in America have, have certainly been suppressed. And this was certainly prevalent and um big in the news and throughout America in the fifties and sixties when cook was writing this song. And um, like Bob Dylan's song blowing in the wind and Martin Luther King's, I have a dream speech. He's, he's saying, you know, he knows that there'll be a day when whites and blacks are, are finally equal. Um, then he jumps into the verse, second verse. It's been too hard to live in, um, you know, Racial segregation and discrimination was on everyone's mind during this time. And uh, like many blacks who not only suffered physically during this time, uh, Cook was likely struggling with these difficulties emotionally. Um, he certainly, as we talked about in the, uh, the part of the inspiration for writing the song, he had, he experienced racism firsthand. And um, now this next part, I think there's actually two possible takes on it. When he says he's afraid to die because he doesn't know what's up there beyond the sky. One, I think it's possible that he's doubting his faith, which would be a further reference back to the first verse where we had the, the river reference and possible churches. And, uh, and he says, you know, I've been running ever since, you know, maybe this is a reflection back on that first verse where he's, he's running from his faith. You know, maybe that's a different interpretation of that first verse. And, and so here in the second verse, when he says, um, 
you know, I don't know what's up there beyond the sky. Maybe this is him questioning his faith and not sure if there's an afterlife. Maybe he's no longer believing in, in a God because of what he's seeing on earth. Um, or a possible second version interpretation of this line here could be that perhaps um, he may not want to die because he's afraid that discrimination and segregation exists in heaven. So maybe he thinks that it's actually better on earth. Um, I think that's less likely. <laughs> um but but there are some people that interpret it that way. That I, is I, an interesting theory, though, because yeah. one could think, I, I mean, if you're like a faithful person, one could think, well, if if it's allowed to be down here like this, then why would it change up there? Yeah. Since it's since like if you're if your president believes in faith, like it's supposed to be the same. It should be the same. Or better. Or, or better hopefully, <laughs> hopefully better yeah hopefully better um, yeah I, I could i could see that reasoning or thinking too yeah and um i personally i, I think the first one because i do think it's a reflection back on the first verse and i think that's kind of an underlying tone here there's definitely in my mind there's definitely some faith undertones in his in his writing here yes um and then he goes back into the chorus again you know about how change is going to come and then um, we get into the third verse. Now, the third verse, interestingly enough, was actually edited out of the published version that was eventually released in December, um, simply because the record label felt it's, it spoke too boldly to segregation. Um, it's a shorter verse, and he just he basically talks about you know trying to go to the movies downtown, but people tell him you know you don't want to hang around there. There's too much. It's it's too high risk um, due to the the discrimination and. Um, possibility of violence that could could occur um and then uh, then again he gives into just trying to drive home this idea like this is the world we live in but the you know the chorus he he, he believes that that a change is going to come then the fourth verse uh and this was interesting he he talks about going to his brother asking for help but he gets knocked back down on his knees and um i actually wasn't sure what he was getting out here so this is one i actually looked up um, he's, uh, he's referring, what he's referring to here is that there's many people in the civil rights movement that felt that men or, or um, blacks shouldn't fight back, that they should avoid conflict. They should avoid violence because they were afraid of the violence that could be taken out upon them and their families. And so here he's saying that, you know, we don't have full support across the board and, um, in many ways, the record producers that Cook worked with did this to him. Um, they were not really in favor of this song. It's, they cut the third verse, um, partially because they were afraid that he would alienate uh, his fans that were white, um, who were the ones that were really kind of um, a, a large percentage of his fan base at the time. Um, so I think there's kind of a personal anecdote there that with this, this line. Yeah, and you can definitely see that back then between like the conflict between Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, because Malcolm yeah. X was more toward the violent initially, uh, yeah. more toward the violent end of it, whereas Martin Luther King was about uh, just maintaining peace and not fighting back with violence because that makes you no know better than them. So, yeah, which one is right? I'm not going to say which one's right. Um, because if someone messes with you for so long, like how, how long do you keep peaceful for? But is it the right thing to be violent? I don't know. But there was that conflict and 
I think yep. everyone just needs to be on the same page rather than trying to fight each other. Yep. Absolutely. Um, and then at the end, I, I think he ends on a note of optimism here when he says that, you know, there are times when he didn't think he was going to make it, but he knows he can carry on. And then he, and then he dives back into the chorus one last time, knowing that change is going to come. And uh, I just, I, I like that he ends on a, a note of optimism here. And, uh, and I think that that note of optimism runs throughout the song. Um, he keeps coming back to that chorus, you know, I know a change is going to come. He's um, but in some sense, I think maybe he's trying to reconcile with himself um, internally um, is battling, you know, this, you know, he's trying to stay optimistic. He sees that there's yeah. others around him that are optimistic, but at the same time, he's seeing all these struggles and, and experiencing personal struggles. And sure enough, you know, was it 10 months after this song was first released? I mean, he was shot and killed in, in, uh, in LA, I think it was. So, you know, he, he was a victim of, um, um, fatal violence himself. And, um, you know, it's just, um, I think I, I, I really interpret this lyric, these lyrics as, um, as being optimistic and they certainly became an anthem for the civil rights movement. Uh, we can talk a little bit about the legacy in a second, um, but I really think when he wrote this song, I really think he was he was trying to reconcile in his own mind what existed and what the future should be. And uh, I just I kind of read that in these yeah. in the lyrics here. It's very well written. I I just think it's in my mind it's one of the best written songs in yeah. history. I I know you brought it up for um, like kind of holding him back with the cutting of the ver the third verse mm -hmm. had he not been shot <laughs> and able to make more music i think that verse was better to get cut at the time um just because of like if he loses his fan base or like anything like that he can't be outspoken at all at that point yeah, I mean it's the but, but from from that perspective, like he needs to kind of choose and pick his battles so that he can essentially win the war type type deal. Is it right? No, but at, at the time, I think that was something he kind of had to weigh. Yeah, and I'm not the what I read made it seem like he didn't have a choice in the matter. Um, mm. but I'm not I'm not, I mean, that was just, you know, one article. It's, it's hard to say, perhaps, yeah. perhaps maybe he, you know, ultimately ended up agreeing with the decision based on the reasoning presented. Um, it's hard to say. And we'll never know, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but uh, otherwise good message from the song. Um, but yeah, it, it is kind of a downer. I know you say it ends on a, a, a positive note, but like, the whole premise of the song needing to get made is kind of a downer. <laughs> That's a fair point. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, it's like, it, uh, it's like, so, so I've been watching, sorry, this might be not even completely related at all, but I've been watching the star Wars, uh, Clone Wars cartoon. And like the whole time, like there's all this hope throughout the whole show. But, like, at the very end, you know that all the Jedi die and Darth Vader exists. 
So like me, I'm thinking of it from like a realistic standpoint, like, oh man, this show is pretty good. And there's all this hope in it. But the very last episode, you just know everyone's going to die. And it sucks. And I feel like that's kind of similar to this song. Like, like, you know, there's like hope in the song, but you have all these civil rights movements happening at the, at the time and it just sucks. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a shame that, um, you know, uh, Sam Cooke and, and Martin Luther King. I mean, it's a shame that all these civil rights leaders, um, saw their lives end it so short, um, you know, given the, the strides that were made later in the 60s. Um, I mean, for that matter, John F. Kennedy, too. You can throw him into the mix. Was that, what, was uh, that 63? Yeah, Kennedy was shot in 63, November yeah. 63. Man, a lot of stuff happened around this song. Yeah, and then so then <laughs> you had, um, I mean, at the same time, you could argue that because of that, that's the reason we got the Civil Rights Act of 64 and the Voting Rights Act of 65. You know, who's to say what would have happened had, you know, had these individuals not been shot and killed? Yeah. Um, that were that were trying to push for change. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, I think eventually uh, we would have seen that those bills would have been passed, but um, it may have taken longer. Exactly. It may not have happened as quickly as it did. And, um, and more people would have suffered for it. So, you yeah. know, it's, it's, it's hard to say, I mean, there's, you, you can speculate on alternate history all day long. Um, but, so but none off of the song for an alternate <laughs> history. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, nonetheless, the song, as I said, the song did become a, uh, a rallying cry of sorts for the movement. And, um, um, you know, um, Sam Cooke actually only ever performed the song once uh, live, performed it on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, uh, February 7th, 1964, which unfortunately was overshadowed by the Beatles performance on The Ed Sullivan Show two days later. <laughs> so so they, they had actually hoped that, um, that this was going to be a big song for him and it just you know, they couldn't get the marketing to, to kind of really take off on it, unfortunately, due to the overshadowing. And it turns out uh, Sam Cooke actually ended up not enjoying performing it um, in an article I read, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, and then, as I said, he was shot and killed. Um, it's, I mean, it's December. probably not a fun song to perform. <laughs> yeah, I, it's, and it's kind of a slow song. It's not really upbeat. Um, but it is considered to be one of the best songs that he's ever wrote um forever wrote and it was uh voted number 12 on rolling stone's greatest songs of all time and it's been selected for preservation in the library of congress with the national recording registry so um yeah so this is i mean it's it's clearly a a well-recognized song for for not only the the musicianship and it is musically it's actually a really nice song too if you haven't heard it before just listen to it um not just for the lyrics but the music it's uh, you've got some really nice strings in there and it's just, it's very orchestral, I think in many ways, <laughs> um, probably I would describe it. Um, interesting anecdote. Um, you know, I mentioned at the beginning how a, a, a big catalyst for, for why he wrote it was because of the incident at the, the hotel, which was in Shreveport, Louisiana. Um, in 2019, the mayor of Shreveport, I guess I'm saying that right. Shreveport 
never been there. But um, anyway, in 2019, the mayor of the city uh, at the time apologized to the Cook family for the event that occurred and posthumously awarded him the key to the city, uh, which I thought was kind of a, a cool um, way for the city to um, to try to, to correct a wrong. And, yeah. uh, and it's not like anyone probably asked for that. No, I'm sure it was. Did. Yeah. So, but um, as I, this is, this is hands down one of my favorite songs. Um, I think it's, it's, it's just so good. And um, lots of covers of the song. We actually saw um, my wife and I, we went to, um, we live near Charlottesville, Virginia, and we managed to get tickets to the, the concert for Charlottesville that was had, or that was held after um, um, the, the, the events there uh, in 2017. And um, um, I remember, you know, some, some great artists that performed it, but Justin Timberlake actually did a cover of this song in that concert, which was oh, really? cool and I, I thought was kind of fitting. Uh, yeah. That was how he opened up his set. Oh, nice. So, yeah. But um, anyway, I, I just say, I like the song. I think one of the things I think is cool about both these songs is they're both drawing on, Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. Yeah. Um, which I think is... We did is, not plan that out. No, we did not. Uh, <laughs> so, but I think that just goes to show how influ- influential um, Martin Luther King Jr. was um, on, you know, you know, even with months after his speech to years after his speech. And just, yeah. I think that shows his his lasting legacy um, that he's had on, on the movement that, that continues to this day. Yeah. So. Well, Matt, did you have anything else to add for your song? No, I mean, there's lots of other little facts out there, but <laughs> we don't, it's one of those songs where we could go all day on. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't have anything to add either. You want to, you want to introduce next week's theme then? Yeah, sure. Um, and I, we didn't even talk about this. I don't know if we're doing it next week or two weeks from now, but. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the, we'll just say next episode. Next uh, episode. There we're going to try to move to just doing the bi-weekly thing. So it should be in two weeks from now. But if we get a chance to record something and pop it up next week, just be ready for it. Be on the lookout. Uh, but yeah, so we're going to do, we're coming into the wedding season. It's springtime. So we are going to do wedding songs that you might do a first dance to, but we're just calling it wedding songs. So, uh, I am going to do the song that my wife and I did for our wedding day, uh, which is I Choose You by Sarah Bareilles. Greg, what are you doing? I'm going to use my wedding day song. So this is <laughs> our first dance to Perfect by Ed Sheeran and Beyonce. Awesome. Yeah, it's going to be good. It's going to be great. Wedding songs oh, we, are always fun. Yeah. We we also did a, we chore- like got a dance instructor to, we hired someone to give us a dance. So like, so there's a video is what you're saying what was that there's a video is what you're saying there is a video i don't think my wife will let me post it so <laughs> i did almost drop her there but I'll, I'll leave that story for for the next episode this sounds looking forward what was that right, thanks everybody i said thanks i'm looking forward to it <laughs> yeah well before we go and depart i would like to thank you for all listening Make sure you hit the subscribe button. Check us out on Facebook. Or e- give us an email at recordmashup at gmail.com. Let us know what you thought of the show, any changes you want, anything like that. 
You can also catch us on Apple. I, uh, yeah, Apple iTunes, Google, whatever streaming service you use. So appreciate everyone tuning in. Have a good Thanks. one. Thanks, everybody.